Hi and welcome to the Delta Dialogue. Uh, in this episode, we'll talk about um, open data, or open medical data and AI from above and beyond, and explore its implications to our world. On the 12th episode of our uh, series on open me medical data, we will uh, get more insights on open medical data and AI. I'm your host, Emir Mustafa. I am joined today by my co-host and commentator, David Wood, and our guest speaker, Rohitashwa Agrawal. He is a physician who holds a fellowship in digital health innovations at Harvard Medical School. He's passionate about access to quality healthcare and expressing opinions on impactful technologies. Besides clinical me medicine, he has worked in consulting, nonprofit, academia, and government across the US, India, and Africa at different levels. Hi, Rohit. Uh, can you tell us more about yourself and what you're currently working on? Thanks, Amir. Thanks, David. Uh, my name is Rohit Agrawal, and uh, I'm a physician by training, have a background in oncology. Uh, I was training to be a surgical oncologist, but then I realized I was not very much interested. So wanted to have a bigger impact. So started with my master's in health policy management. I wanted to work at a WHO, World Bank kind of a level because I thought making policies will have a bigger impact. But then I got introduced to technology, especially the health tech, and that fascinated me. So I started my journey in there. And right now I'm working in AI space, uh, AI in healthcare, and trying to bring access to care, access to healthcare to remote areas using these technologies. So using AI, machine learning, deep learning and glad to be here. In your article, I want to jump straight into it. Uh, in your article on AI's governance, uh, India's AI governance, you mentioned the need to strike a balance between regulation and innovation. Uh, could you elaborate on how this balance can be achieved in the healthcare sector? Sure. Uh, that's a very interesting question. You brought it up. Uh, innovation uh, is uh, often very, I would say, messy and it's fast paced. And regulations we have seen in across different industries where regulations tends to be slightly slower than the curve of innovation. So oftentimes regulations have to catch up. So what I was trying to mean in my article was to emphasize that the regulations should catch up with the speed of innovation. So for example, our softwares get updated every three months, four months, six months, right? But our regulations are still slightly dated and they might not serve the purpose of the technology or the function of technology that we are currently going through. So for example, there is no regulation around ChatGPT. There are still talks about it. There is not many regulation around uh, AI. Uh, so there is a need where uh, the regulatory space needs to speed up the process. Otherwise, the innovation might not reach their full potential. So that was my idea when I was talking about how innovation and regulation have to be in sync. How can innovators, sorry, how can regulators move faster? Because just going faster means you're more likely to make mistakes. So uh, I was saying uh, regulators can be, of course, uh, there has to be guardrails. I completely agree with you on that. But at the same time, the innovation should not be uh, regulated at the level that it's not growing enough. Otherwise, it becomes difficult to sustain that momentum. So I can give you an example from AI domain. Uh, I'm cur currently working in a company that's almost seven years old and we are across 75 plus countries. 
and then still we are dealing with the legacy regulations. So we started in 2016, 2017. We still have their, uh, they are using our AI algorithms, but we always encounter a scenario where there are no regulations about how do we deal with this new beast called AI or new technology that's impacting patient outcomes. And we have shown in the clinical results and clinical studies that these technologies can save lives. So we have to weigh the balance, like do we want to uh, keep it at the level that it's going or should we make some innovation in the regulation itself? So I'm talking, trying to say that maybe there is a possibility to innovate in the regulatory domain as well. Absolutely. Um... So you mentioned the uh, arduous process of applying for reimbursement of AI-related healthcare costs. Uh, with the accelerated adoption of new technology due to the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, do you see any changes in uh, on the horizon that could uh, alleviate this burden, particularly for startups and small firms? Yeah, that's a question that's always... Whenever we go to any conference or any seminars, they always talk about how do we sustain these uh, innovative ideas that are growing. Uh, we all know for any innovation, there is a heavy burden of R&D, especially in healthcare. You not only have to develop technology, you have to prove that they are effective and they are safe. So all these three levels of burden of evidence makes it uh, kind of a resource intensive for the entity or for the organization or the group that's working on it. So it becomes very imperative to have sort of a reimbursement kind of a visibility so that this kind of effort that goes into it could be in many years, in many months, they at least have a hope that they can get some reimbursement in the later, uh, later half of the innovation when it's uh, in the real world. Uh, so there has to be some uh, sort of a compensation or some sort of support so that these efforts are productive and these efforts uh, invite people these uh, efforts attract talent otherwise it's very difficult to i mean ai is growing in every field if we want to have best talent in health health tech ai we have to make it some way attractive and compensation will make it more sustainable so right now things have been changed so things are changing so, for example, in Medicare, they have started with a new reimbursement code called NTAP. This is for new technology, but still uh, it's only for a one-time thing. And once it's not novel, you have to renew it. And to renew that, there is a very lengthy and cumbersome process, which itself consumes a lot of energy and resources from smaller entities like startups who might be doing cutting-edge work. Uh, so... Definitely, there are various ways. So reimbursement is one way to kind of make it attractive or to make it sustainable. The other possible opportunities could be in the form of grants where there is a support from the government or the local government or the national government where they have a dedicated kind of a pool of funds or resources where these uh, entrepreneurs are encouraged, are provided support that they need to move from one level to next. Uh, there could be some form of, let's say, guaranteed pilots at least. So these three levels, again, it has their own complexities and a smaller group cannot always afford to go through these all three layers uh, of evidence uh, by themselves. So any support would be helpful. And uh, most of the time, resources are the main choke point for most of the startups where often they get acquired or they just give up.
So that was I was trying to talk about and bring attention to this particular aspect. Since you mentioned um, the uh, the grants from like governments or regulatory bodies, I also wanted to ask you um, how do you actually see the role of the government or and these uh, regulatory bodies in fostering innovation while safeguarding patient safety and privacy, uh, especially in uh, this current era of AI and digital health. I mean, it's uh, this is one of the <clears throat> uh, topics that are of paramount in, uh, interest for most people, especially regarding privacy and, and security. Yeah. So in my opinion, healthcare is a very sensitive topic. Uh, it's dealing with people's lives, so definitely one entity that can have a broader ramification is the government. It's kind of a cement across the board where it will bring different elements of healthcare together. Now, technology is emerging as a big component of it. So healthcare regulatory authorities or the government can play a big role where they can ensure the innovation that's getting into the space and impacting their citizens is thoroughly vetted. So first of all, they have to do some sort of a a uh, regulatory checkpoint where only those uh, innovations which are safe get into the space. Second, they have to ensure that once they get certified, they are functioning at that level for which they have been certified. So they are not going overboard or uh, getting indulged in, in things that are not, they are not certified for. And third, uh, government can play a big role where they can bring different entities together. So there are different entities in the form of industry there is a patient group there is a physician group there is a hospital administrators they all function together and that's how we deliver how we can deliver an effective healthcare so government can be in a kind of an orchestrator to bring all these uh, major entities stakeholders of the healthcare together and can help to foster innovation which is relevant can help in cross learning so let's say there is a new use case which was uh, identified by a startup, budding startup out of some lab. The government can amplify that, can help them to go through different stakeholders so they can learn from it. At the same time, those learnings, those conversations will help every stakeholder to work towards the common goal of providing better patient outcomes and to provide best clinical outcomes for their citizens. Is there perhaps another role that the government can adopt to improve regulation? which isn't just to improve regulation, but it's to improve regulators. In other words, encouraging higher caliber people to join that field and to stay in that field, ensuring that people who have ambitions for their own career, ambitions for their own learning, who are very capable, are attracted to work in this field so that they can bring together the right combination of knowledge of policy levers, legislation as a whole, but also what's happening inside the industry, the new possibilities in biomedical treatments, the new possibilities in AI. So we want to, of course, keep people in regulation who are thoughtful and careful and don't make foolish mistakes because they, on the contrary, they are diligent. But we also want people who are open to this fast changes and maybe the government should be doing more to encourage people there possibly by paying them more yeah just to add to that point in fact because the regulatory authorities have a full eye view of like what's happening in their uh, in the purview or in their uh, regular legislative uh, realms 
they can in fact invite startups like okay i think there is a need over there why don't you guys build something in that space because i can see there is a white space over there so regulatory authorities can not only play a role of deciding who goes uh, beyond that point but they can also invite people to fill those gaps where there might not be many people making efforts so for example let's say there are a lot of ai algorithms regarding cardiology but there might not be many uh, to uh, some rare disease right there might not be many algorithms in rare disease and regulatory uh, authorities have that bird eye view where they can see that okay i am getting so many applications cardiology is already cluttered we have already cleared 100 plus algorithms but i don't see anything in rare disease why don't you guys work towards that because that's also a need for a significant uh, percentage of population so regulatory can invite people as david mentioned and can uh, attract talent who can help to navigate uh, and help this ecosystem to become more sustainable by solving main problems and possibly the people who are invited through such a process is not just that they are saying i've got a solution it's that i think this is how the regulations need to be evolved because the regulations that make sense possibly for cardiology shouldn't apply in exactly the same way in this particular rare disease there are new considerations you know we can't always rely on double blind testing or perhaps you know double blind testing is the gold standard but maybe there are circumstances in which it's appropriate to be more flexible and the people who are actually developing these solutions may have the insights themselves how they can find some alternative way of demonstrating effectiveness and demonstrating safety Yeah that that's a very great point that you brought it up so that's was the exact point i was trying to talk about like how do we innovate the regulatory process itself so there is a possibility like things are changing across the world with technology so why regulation have to be centuries old process it also has to innovate and uh, you know keep up with the pace of everything that's going around so yeah i completely agree with that one of the biggest regulatory bodies around uh, the world is is the regulatory body of india uh, and i wanted to ask uh, how do you foresee ai and digital health technologies being integrated into the existing healthcare infrastructure uh, in india uh, what what challenges and opportunities might or are arising from uh, this integration so yeah india is a most populous nation now uh, so it has so many problems i mean you cannot just count on fingers there are so many number especially with healthcare as uh, india is growing up the ladder of economic development so are the mix of disease uh, previously india was a home of lot of infectious diseases now as we see there is a prosperity across growing middle class there is increasing epidemic of chronic diseases like diabetes and hypertension uh so there is definitely an opportunity for india uh, in fact indian government uh, indian government entities are making very interesting efforts where you might have heard about upi unified payment interface or aadhar system which is the social security numbers that been given to 6 uh, 4 billion plus people I, i don't know the exact number but it's been uh, very uh, instrumental in giving a unique id number and then tracking those patients so there is a opportunity for country like india to leapfrog that gap so maybe there might there is not a kind of a common availability of ehrs electronic health record system but every, most of the people in india still have a phone and that might have a uh, internet connection so can we leapfrog can we leapfrog that phase of let's say india did with the rotary phone 
India didn't have that many landlines and rotary phones. They leapfrog directly to the mobile phones. Now, this is another an opportunity where India can leverage AI. So in India right now, uh, the government is making a lot of effort. So there is a national level effort called National Digital Health Mission, where they are creating a tech stack uh, where every patient would be registered and the data would be in a central repository. So if a patient moves from one part of the country to another country, another part of the country, they can have an access to their own records and the physicians who is dealing with the patient in the next part of the country, they can access that record, but by the consent of the patient. So, so the patient will get a notification that would you like to share your record with this physician? And there is a process called one-time password, OTP. Their patient will get it on their phones and then they can provide that uh, access to that particular physician. So you see, there is an interoperability controlled by the phys- controlled by the patient and with the, all the layers of encryption and uh, data security, making it very private and safe. So there is a lot of opportunity where AI can smoothen these process, can smoothen this transformation and can accelerate a lot of applications on this tech stack that uh, India is developing. Yeah, and uh, I mean, working with diverse uh, people from uh, all over the world, uh, in your experience, um, what do you think are the key factors for successful implementation and actually scalability of AI and digital health solutions um, in diverse healthcare settings, um, particularly in low resource areas? Yeah, so uh, different areas have different concerns. So in my opinion, healthcare is a very local topic where a particular region might have their own particular problem to deal with, right? So for example, in tropical countries, you might have a lot of infectious diseases, whereas in developing a developed part of the world might have a lot of chronic conditions, mental health issues. So you, so the innovation or the disp- dispension of the innovation has to consider that local element, uh, you have to make it very user-centric. So it all depends on the education level. It all depends on the income level. It all depends on the priority of health for that particular community. So healthcare has to be at a very community level, in my opinion. And different parts of the world react differently. So the first uh, three elements has to be based on the need of the local community, their understanding, and how they would react to that innovation. Uh, developing world, there is a lot of challenges. Uh, of course, that comes uh, with the problem that they're already facing. So for their example, there is lack of infrastructure. So if you do not even have an infrastructure, first you have to build that infrastructure. Uh, if they might not have uh, adequate resources, once you build that infrastructure, how will you sustain it? So there has to be a model where the, there is some sort of sustainability element inbuilt in it where the first you have to build the infrastructure and then you have to sustain it over a period of time to demonstrate because healthcare results might not be very visible in the first go. It takes time. So that sustainability becomes an uh, important element. Uh, then there is a data concern, a privacy concern. How do you allay that fear from the community that their data is safe and when they are getting exposed that, to that innovation, it is for their benefit. So there's a lot of uh, work that needs to be done on the ground, talking to people, communication. There's so many elements involved. 
these are more relevant in uh, developing part of the world where healthcare might not be the most sophisticated form so they already have their own notions so you have to break that notion and then build upon it uh, if you com- compare with the developed part of the world there is another story over there there are stricter regulations i believe uh, in my opinion what i have experienced uh, there is uh, always an element where there is slightly resistance to a new idea and it takes a lot of time to vet that idea so for example if an fda approval takes let's say more than 8 9 months by the time that the application was applied it's already updated right the technology moves fast uh, so the thing that is getting approved is already outdated so in developed part there is another set of issues that you have to deal with but yeah uh, that's the part of the game where you have to solve these hard problems then only you can have a real world impact so yeah they both are different parts of the world and they have their own issues to deal with i think the list of requirements you've given is very good this is the things that our health tech stack must deliver how well is india actually faring against these requirements to what extent is the system that's being built robust and secure and is it likely to be sustainable over a long period of time are you quietly confident that a good job's being done or do you think a different management or operational approach may be needed so uh, so this thing is still in progress so we haven't seen the real results but what gives me confidence is the rollout of the world's biggest social security system that's still functioning it has enrolled so many people into their bank accounts uh, it has uh, incl- uh, done a lot of work for the financial inclusion so the there are two systems that are celebrated worldwide in fact upi system unified payment interface system is something other developed countries are borrowing or learning from us so we have now started using that upi in other part of the world as well so this health stack that i was talking about is based on similar architecture and since upi is one of the world's renowned tech stack that's been functioning for more than 3 years uh, without much glitches i wouldn't say that there is no glitch but of course there is not many glitches so that gives me a confidence that this can be done in healthcare and if it can be done in any part of the world it is possible in india because india is a very complex country if you solve it for india you can solve for any part of the world that's my opinion because if you are able to solve for the most populous nations most complicated with so many diversities so many complexities so many and that to at a very resource optimized way uh, of course then it's doable in other parts of the world as well so it's a big challenge uh, no doubt about that but then uh, india has solved those issues and have shown that that can be done so i'm pretty optimistic about it that's encouraging yeah absolutely and um so one other thing i wanted to ask um you about rohit is uh, health apps um because they have become increasingly prevalent but their quality um and reliability vary what steps do you believe should be taken to ensure that health apps meet uh, the necessary standards particularly in terms of data security and uh, user privacy and before before that maybe it might also be useful to 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 kind of also explain what uh, health health uh, apps are actually sure so so i started uh, working with the health apps in 2014 and since then i have been kind of in, involved in some way or another 
uh, health apps, whenever you we would use the term health, data privacy and security goes hand in hand. I mean, there can never be a divorce between the two where there is a health and there is no privacy. That's not going to happen. That's not possible. So, so that's relevant for health apps as well. So now we have to understand the health apps is a very broad term that I would like to divide into two categories. Uh, one is very clinically focused or it would be something based on, let's say, someone getting uh, clinical care. So that's different element. And then there is a wellness app. Uh, that wellness app is much more on a day-to-day basis. Let's say counting step counts or when someone is going for a run, they are, uh, you know, getting those data points from that particular activity. The, oftentimes it's already, uh, it's clubbed together, but in my opinion, these two are different and that's why they would have different kind of, they should have different kind of restrictions and incentives as well. So for example, a healthcare app, which is dealing with someone's care, let's say someone is getting diabetic care or hypertension care, they need to have a very thorough, very encrypted, lot of restrictions and I'm up for it because that's very personal and something is wrong with that person and that that they will not like to share. But when you're dealing with the wellness app, I think there is a community element as well. So the wellness app might not need that kind of uh, restrictions because that's much more visible anyways in the community. And maybe that would have a positive reinforcement. So to give you an example, let's say if someone is going for a run three days in a week, neighbor might you might want to use that kind of uh, activity to incentivize your neighbor who might be having certain kind of a sedentary lifestyle because uh, anyone getting sick in the community is a problem for the community right like you want to keep your people healthy so you might not want to have as restricted data privacy of course with the consent of the user but definitely there should be an element where it's not as restrictive as clinical care app. Uh, so in my opinion, these two should be different. So first, that, that would be the first point. Second, then how you do track that data and how much can you share? That should, that's also something uh, needs to be different for both these two categories. So for example, in clinical care, a treating physician might have access to the data because he needs that data to make a very informed decision for the patient, right? But in case of wellness app, the user might can, you know, user can decide not to share. Uh, in clinical care, if someone is uh, having an infectious disease that can spread in the community, let's say COVID or something, you might want to have a kind of certain access by default if the patient is already diagnosed, right? But because in the uh, because for the benefit of the community, so it needs its own kind of a regulation for both sides, which would be very different in my opinion. Isn't there another angle in which some of these health apps have been criticized? It's not just questions of security and privacy. It's on how safe is the advice that's been given. There were some quite popular health apps here in the UK where I'm based. One of them, for example, was Babylon Health, which had a lot of excitement. And then various GP professionals picked on the advice it was giving and saying, this is actually dangerous advice in some cases. So we shouldn't get too much into individual applications because people differ. But I know that one time I typed some of my own symptoms in and I couldn't believe at all the advice the app was giving me in that case. And later I consulted real doctors and they gave me very different advices. 
So the risk is that in some cases, people will be led astray by the advice in these apps, and they may miss the seriousness of their conditions, or conversely, they may get worried unnecessarily. So what is the process to ensure not just security and privacy, but also reliability of the advice that these applications offer? Yeah, that's a very great point that you brought it up. So I recently read, in fact, I read last night where Babylon was listed on the stock exchange and it went public, uh, it went private now and had a, a big wipe of wealth for the investors. So it speaks for itself. So because it was not scrutinized properly, they were not able to demonstrate value and and we are seeing the results. And this brots, uh, this br- brings me back to the point where I was talking about the regulatory element is not one-time thing. It has to be continuous evaluation. So the point that you mentioned that the advice was not relevant or was, in fact, wrong oftentimes, if it would have been constantly or continuously on a periodic basis was evaluated or regulated, we could have uh, managed the damage it might have caused. So that's, that's, uh, that's, that makes it that's makes the case for itself where uh, the regulatory element has to be has to move from one point approval to continuous evaluation. And there are many ways it can be done. So let's say there is a third party, a third party independent audit of what's being done with that Babylon app. Like once the Babylon app or any healthcare app talks about something, how it is impacting in the real world. You have to get that real world data. In fact, in pharma industry, after uh, first stage, uh, phase three, once the drug is rolled out, they do a surveillance, right? They do a monitoring, like how the drug is impacting in the real world. Same should be applicable for healthcare apps. At the point of regulatory application, they might have promised, you know, heavens on earth. But how much it is true, you, we will never know if we will not monitor it continuously or periodically at least. So yeah, so to manage those kind of ramifications, we don't know how the technology will roll out, how people would use it and how it's behaving in the real world with all the complexities that might not be possible to replicate during the evaluatory phase. So that needs continuous evaluation in my opinion and uh, there has to be a process where they get recertified every, I mean, I don't know the exact uh, period, but it will depend on the intensity of the situation that they are dealing with. So, for example, if a, there is a robotic device that does robotic surgeries, this might need much more frequent evaluation as compared to any wellness device. But the other case, of course, human doctors make mistakes too sometimes. Sometimes people explain their symptoms to a human doctor and the human doctor makes a mistake because his or her knowledge is out of date, he or she is distracted, and even worse, there are many people in many parts of the world who really don't get a chance to see a human doctor. And so it may well be that for these people, uh, an application on their phone, even a simple application, even though it occasionally makes mistakes, is still far better than not having access to any doctor at all. So I don't want to say I'm against seeing these apps rolled out. I want to see them rolled out, but I want to see them evaluated in a smart way. And on that basis, I wonder if you've looked at the Google's MedPalm or MedPalm 2. And Google are claiming that they have evaluated this in a very systematic way. And it is for, by most criteria, now giving better advice, less misleading advice than even the regular human doctors. Yeah, so once the technology will start kind of competing in a way, this debate is, I mean, it's it's expected. 
So in, uh, in my opinion, there has to be a very firm layer of accountability. In healthcare, I know it's a very subjective domain. Uh, if a human makes an error because been doing for centuries, that's sort of acceptable. But then if a machine makes an error, so where do you draw the line? Uh, where do you draw the line like the error by machine is acceptable and error by human uh, is acceptable to that level? So it's an ongoing debate in my opinion and things are evolving. But to answer that question, I think a clear level of accountability has to be established where if a person dies because of a healthcare app and it's and it's been proven that it's because of healthcare app, of course, there has to be accountability. You can the healthcare app cannot go behind the cloak that uh, humans also make error and we also did one maybe. So that's that's a tricky domain. Uh, and as things will evolve, I feel there would be much more kind of a nuanced understanding where to draw that line. But I believe it's still not there. And to talk about that MedPalm LLM2 that you're talking about by Google, they are claiming a lot of big stuff and uh, like all the big giants they do that they will change the world. Uh, we have seen how Google Glass failed. So uh, I'm optimistic this time. Uh, so you never know how this will pan out unless it gets into the real world. So I will not uh, assume things here, but I am very optimistic that humans have managed innovations, humans have managed transformations. Uh, so I believe this AI transition that we are going through, we will be able to manage this as well. Thank you for listening to the Delta Dialogue. This episode is brought to you by the UN, a tech community focused on artificial intelligence in healthcare, machine learning, and related disciplines. I am Amir Mustafa, and see you next time.